You're listening to The Creation Academy, a weekly podcast and radio show defending the truth of God's Word in biblical creation science. I'm your host, Steve Schramm, and in this week's lesson, we're talking about Darwin's famous finches. Specifically, do Darwin's famous finches prove evolution? Do Darwin's famous finches prove evolution? We're in part four of a series that we're doing called The Basics of Creation Science. And what we're talking about is why we believe what we believe, why we believe the Bible teaches young earth creationism, and how we see science, modern science, lining up with exactly what the Bible has predicted that we should see. Now, you're not going to hear this on Science Magazine. Uh, You're not going to hear this on National Geographic. But you're going to hear it right here. And you're going to learn how to uh, take this and use this information to defend your faith against those who believe that science is completely incompatible with the Bible. And so that's what we are working on. And thus far, we have talked about creation science, specifically young age, uh, recent creationism, as it relates to the Bible. We talked about what the Bible has to say about it. That was our uh, second lesson. Of course, our first lesson was an introduction. Our third lesson, we talked about the age of the earth and Um, why it's so important to getting a correct uh, theology and to teaching the correct doctrine. And so now that we've got the biblical view of it, we're going to kind of look at the scientific end of things starting today. And of course, we know that Darwinian evolution is the um, one thing that probably is most bothersome for the Christian worldview. Um, Not because we're concerned that it's true, but um, this is the one thing that really gives the culture an out. This is the one thing where they can say, hey, you know what? No, there's not a God, because evolution is a fact. And this is the kind of thing they say, and they use this all the time. And so... We need to have a good defense for this. We need to look at this. Now, um, Darwin's finches are usually cited as the main evidence for evolution. Now, this is true if you uh, just start talking to somebody randomly about it. This is true if you visit a college campus to talk to professors uh, or students or anybody else. Okay, Um, And you can look up. There's a great DVD. You can see excerpts of it on YouTube. It's called Evolution versus God. It's put out by Ray Comfort and Living Waters Ministries. And he essentially walks around a college campus and asks if anyone has ever seen proof of, of macroevolution. And everybody always uses the example of Darwin's finches. This is the example they all use. It's almost as if they've just been... Uh, indoctrinated, and and this is their standard response that they must repeat. You know, it's almost it's almost mechanical, and uh, so this is what they this is what they repeat. They're missing out on heaven. They're missing out on God's blessings. They're missing out on salvation, on eternity, in paradise with Jesus Christ. And the best that they've got is Darwin's finches. That's it. That's what they've got. 
And so we need to know how to deal with this problem. So here's uh, where the rubber meets the road. There are two areas that I think um, we can look at to really get to the bottom of this problem and discuss it efficiently. The first thing is to properly define terms. And the second thing is to just simply look at the observable evidence. So let's look at a couple terms real quick. Two in particular. Let's look at evolution. Now, when science teachers talk about evolution, uh, many of them have no clue even what they're saying, okay, um, which is really unfortunate, but it's true. Now, there are uh, many different kinds of evolution um, that we could talk about, um, and but I like narrowing it down to uh, about six, and I kind of get this model from Kent Hovind uh, personally, and uh, if you're not a fan of Kent Hovind, that's fine. I'm not a fan of much of his stuff. Uh, some of his stuff I like, some of it I don't. Um, eat the meat and spit out the bones, right? Um, and so that's the way I am, but I, but I like the way he characterizes this because it's so easy to understand. He talks about the six definitions of evolution. Cosmic, chemical, stellar, Organic, macroevolution, and microevolution. That's six. But only the very last one is observable. All of the other ones are a mere extrapolation. In other words, if we were to be consistent, okay, this is never how one would characterize it. But if we were to be consistent, in a belief of evolution. If we were evolutionists, and this is what we believe happened, um, we could characterize our belief by saying that since finches on the Galapagos Islands have evolved into other finches, therefore the universe has created itself and evolved from a state of nothingness. Now, if you realize the absurdity of that statement, good. <laughs> that's a good thing. You're on the right track. Because that's an absolutely absurd statement. An absolutely absurd statement. But, now there's a lot of technical workings of that. I'm not, again, I'm not necessarily discounting the theory of evolution. I understand that it is scientific. I understand what a theory means uh, when we're talking about science. I get those things. And that doesn't bother me at all. But if we're going to be consistent, if we're going to be logically cons consistent and coherent, and uh, we're going to be intellectually honest, then we can make a statement like that, and, and, and that would properly characterize our beliefs uh, as evolutionists. And so uh, that's the kind of thing you're dealing with as a Christian when you're talking with them. So let's define the term evolution first. What are we actually talking about? And oftentimes what the evolutionist is talking about is microevolution because that's all that can be observed. And we'll look at that in a moment. But then they work in those other five definitions, or many other definitions um, as well. And so that is the problem with that. Now, the second word that they um, that they mess up here is the word science, funny enough. And, and what we see is that uh, many times they consider this... Uh, process of figuring out origins as a scientific issue. But we can't directly observe the past. 
Now, astronomers claim they can. I'm not an astronomer. I'm not going to go down that road today. That's a different road. But but when we're looking at geologic ages and, and fossils and things like that, we cannot directly observe the past. Can't happen. Doesn't happen. So therefore, I think if we're going to make any claims about origins, about the very beginning of the world and how life got here, those are going to be philosophical claims, not science. Not scientific claims. So, you know, and it's impossible to say um, that, you know, we believe in the theory of gravity. Science has proven that. So therefore, we should believe in the theory of evolution. Uh, evolution may have the same uh, connotation as far as it being a theory, uh, but it's not the same thing, okay? Um, you just cannot prove evolution scientifically in the macro sense there's just not enough time so uh it's a philosophic claim it's not a scientific claim and uh, my favorite way that they do this is they use the fallacy of um of a reification where they say well science says such and such well, science is a thing, okay? Science is not a person. Science can't speak. Science doesn't say anything. Science cannot be authoritative on anything. Scientists must place their interpretation over top of the scientific evidence. Scientists say things, not science. And so don't let them get away with that fallacy because they will act as though uh, science has just made all these discoveries and science has uh, conclusively determined things. Well, no, it hasn't. The majority has been wrong many times. And that's because the interpretation lies with the scientists who have worldviews, not the science. The second thing is the observable evidence, the observable evidence. And um, we, we see a couple things here. Number one, natural selection. It happens Okay, uh, if anybody has ever told you that natural selection does not happen, they've lied to you. I'm a creationist, and natural selection happens. Humans turn into humans, but all humans are a little different. Giraffes turn into giraffes, but there's like four species of giraffes, and giraffes are different. They change. Um, and there's a you know, depending on their environment, okay? Fish, there are many different types of fish, many different species of fish, but fish always turn into fish. It's interesting. Now, Darwin's finches have one interesting thing in common. He went and he looked and saw they had these different beaks, and that's where this whole thing started. But you know what Darwin's finches all had in common? They're finches. Not one of Darwin's finches has ever been shown to not be a finch. Many trips back to the Galapagos have been done on these guys. Guess what? They're all still finches. Even if they were another bird, they would all still be birds. But even so, they're all still finches. So, what's the deal? What's the deal? Why aren't they something else? Well, see, there's no new genetic information. For evolution to be true, new information would need to be added. But now this has never been observed to be happening. We should see kinds of animals, whole kinds of animals, transitioning into other kinds, uh, but we don't see that happening. Now, we do see populations uh, advance to the point where maybe they, they can't breed with other members. For instance, you know, a, a rabbit that couldn't breed with other rabbits, but we're still not there yet. 
we, we still have rabbits, okay? We still have rabbits. So what we find is that mutations change DNA that's already there, or they lose DNA, but they never do add. And some people say, well, what about antibiotic resistance? Well, antibiotic resistance, and I don't have time to go into it here, but I encourage you to research that further. But even if those mutations were beneficial mutations um, while the antibiotic was, um, was there in place for the bacteria. If you remove that antibiotic, it becomes a harmful mutation for the bacteria. So that's not good either. So again, we do see the variation within the kinds. Uh, dogs uh, are a common dog-like ancestor. Cats, a common cat-like ancestor. Giraffes, a common giraffe-like uh, ancestor. Like I said, there was four four species of giraffes. Um, we don't know exactly what Noah had on his ark. He might have had giraffes on his ark, and that's fine. Uh, but the variation that we see today is perfectly explained uh, and, and permissible within the Bible. We don't see kinds of animals turning into different kinds. Okay? So, um, remember, microevolution and macroevolution are not the same thing. They're two completely different processes. There is not a mechanism in place that makes microevolution turn into macroevolution. It does not happen. The evolutionist must, they must, they must place their faith, which they do have, in time instead of God. Because we can see things happening that are consistent with our experience that are not consistent with what mainstream science tells us about evolution theory. Why is that? Well, it's because God's word is true. And eventually, the scientists will catch up, just like they have in the past. The Bible has made many scientific predictions that uh, the scientists have, have, have finally caught up with, and they're not there on all of them yet. Now, one final thing, there is um, uh, something called epigenetics, and we're not going to go into that now, but epigenetics kind of deals with gene expression. So it's pre-programmed variability. We'll look at that in a future podcast, but I think it's important. And I just want to close out this episode and this lesson um, with uh, a couple Bible verses and a quote. Here's what God did, Genesis 1.21. God created great whales and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God said, this is verse 24, Let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing, and beasts of the earth after his kind. And it was so. Dr. Henry Morris says, Natural selection acting upon the variational potential designed into the genetic code for each organism is thus a powerful device for permitting horizontal variation or radiation to enable it to adapt to the environment and thus to survive. It is useless, however, in generating a vertical variation leading to the development of higher, more complex kinds of organisms. And I want to say, Dr. Morris, I agree with you completely. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for allowing us the opportunity to study your word and your world. Father, we pray that you would allow us to use this information, take it, and be a good witness for you, Father. We sure do love you. We thank you for giving us all that you have. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.